So I want to share a word this morning called shepherding the flock. And I want to make it abundantly clear that I am preaching, of course, to the church. But I believe that God has asked me to preach to pastors today. Because one of the areas that needs great healing in the church is our concept of pastoring and shepherding. We have unbiblical ideas and therefore we have unrealistic expectations of our pastors. Did you know that pastors and shepherds are a gift from God? That those that care and those that feed and those that lead and those that labor hard at preaching and teaching the word of God are gifts to the church. And those whom you honor, you will be able to receive from. And we have incredible shepherds and pastors here in this house. I'll say it again, our Father's house, you are so blessed. You don't just have one person trying to be Jesus. You have three men along with their wives, loving, serving, leading together as a team. This is God's model and His design. Every single reference to leadership and government in the New Testament church is plural. The only singular reference to leadership is Jesus the head of His church. But we have built unbiblically and we have actually obscured the headship and the preeminence of Christ. And we have people who will show up or not show up based on if my pastor is there. You would be shocked to know how many people feel trapped in their own church. How many people feel like if I obeyed God, it would cost me everything? Did you know that's the toxicity of religion? See, religion makes you feel like you need man's permission to do the will of God. Some of you have been under the dominion and the reign of dead religious tradition and unbiblical structures for far too long. But God is bringing reform and He is bringing systemic change to His body. We cannot cry out and say, give us the new wine and God do a new thing and then resist when He wants to shake up our boxes and our concepts. I want to ask you, A provoking question. Who taught you what church is or what church is supposed to be like? See, we've all been indoctrinated. We've all been programmed. Some people have an expectation of walking in somewhere and they, without even thinking, go, who's the pastor? Where did you learn to ask that question? Because it's our exposure to things that we think they're normal. But can I tell you, if what I'm sharing right now sounds foreign to you, just because it's rare doesn't mean it's weird or unbiblical. It just might be that God is actually restoring Himself to His church and He is shifting our concepts and our model so that He can get all the glory, all the credit, and all the honor. That's why this is so important. That's why this stuff is not just a matter of preference and oh, well, I like it this way and you like it that way. No, Father, how do you want it so that we can give God what He wants? And we're interested here at our Father's house in giving God what He wants. 
We have not been given the liberty to do whatever we want, however we want. If God in the Old Covenant would give instruction to Moses down to the minutia of how he wanted the tabernacle which was fading to be built, how much more does God want His new covenant house built on Christ and not on us? Would you smile at me? Praise the Lord. This is a very important hour in the body of Christ. Can I encourage you? Don't be a critic. Critics are a dime a dozen. People criticizing the church, hating the bride, scoffing at the failures. You know, there's a lot of scoffing going on as more and more leadership scandals appear in the church. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. But it's because we've done things our own way and when you build it your own way, you have to pay the price. If God births something, then He will sustain it. But if we birth something, then we have to sustain it in our own strength and in our own wisdom. Are you with me? Ezekiel 34. Before we get into this, and I want to share about shepherding the flock. That's the title this morning. I want to just review and give you a few points. I was teaching recently. We did four messages about becoming an apostolic people. You can go online or YouTube. You can listen to those messages. You can follow along through the Our Father's House podcast. The church becomes an orphanage and demonic playground without the fathering of apostles and shepherding of mature elders. This was the final point that I made in the four sections on becoming an apostolic people. How many of you remember those messages? Oh, I sure hope so. I'm not talking just to hear myself talk. The first section was about the ministry of Jesus our Apostle. We understand Jesus is the good shepherd, but if you were to ask many people, tell me about the apostleship of Christ, you would hear crickets. And this is a part of the dysfunction. I believe that the church has been under-fathered and over-pastored. And it's why we have such a small palate for truth, because many people think if it's not encouraging, it's not God. Because we've wanted to be warmed and we don't like being warned. But God is restoring things and it's going to require us to take a sober look at how and why we've done the things that we've done. You can't just do something and slap the name of Jesus on it. It doesn't work. You should pray before you begin, before you start, before you step out and make sure that God is really with you unless you birth a nightmare called Ishmael. How are we doing? So the church becomes an orphanage. Why? Nobody grows up. Everybody just remains the same. People think it's normal to just nurse at the breast of their pastor and tell, tell me what God is saying. Do you know how many people are having a relationship with God vicariously through their pastor? When Jesus wants to be the one we're having a relationship with God through... He came to reveal the Father. He didn't come to institute priests in some order of hierarchy that we would need. He wants us to know Him for ourselves. I remind you of the heartbeat of the new covenant that God made with us. 
It's recorded in Hebrews 8 and again in Hebrews 10. It was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 31. And God said that His desire was for all to know me from the least to the greatest of them. You won't have to say to each other, know the Lord. You're going to know the Lord for yourself. So people are getting off of the feeding tube, off of breastfeeding, and onto eating real meat and growing up in Christ. See, COVID exposed the idolatry and the dependency upon man. There are millions of people, they estimate, that have never come back to church because they figured out, we can just watch it online. You know what you can't do online? Lay hands on people. You can't pray for the sick online. You can't give a hug to somebody that's hurting. You can't be a family on the internet. I'd like to welcome all of our online viewers. We love you so much and we're grateful. Glory to God. Can we put up the QR code to support my ministry again? <laughs> Fantastic. It's a joke. It's okay. You don't have to give. It's fine. We'll be all right. We're not begging. I do want to say, I do want to go on some lavish vacations. I mean, it's like, man, honey. Most of the vacations we've been on, people pay for it and take us, and then everybody gossips about us and gets jealous, and we didn't even spend a dollar. Because you know that jealousy follows favor. Just, just ask Joseph. God began to visit him, and his brothers were stirred up to jealousy. It's just a part of it. It's a part of how God makes us like himself. So that we would understand that the favor has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Because favor is not just something to be received, it's something to steward. Back to shepherding. I want you to understand as we venture into this, that churches in the New Testament were governed by local elders shepherding the flock and extra local elders serving the wider body of Christ. There are people that are trying to divide the fivefold ministry from the local church. What they're doing is they're creating hubs and saying, here's the fivefold, and then we got the church over here with elders in it. And God never wanted these things divorced or divided. We have no biblical precedent to do so. The only thing that Jesus is building is his victorious church. And the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers that God gave until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the full stature of the Son of God. Until we get there, the fivefold has been given to build up the body and to bring forth a mature bride that's ready to meet her bridegroom king. These things are not divorced. This really isn't complicated. I listen to people make a mess of this stuff online all the time. And I'm tired of the confusion. Don't divorce what God has joined together. And by the way, the church in Antioch is not your permission to do whatever you want and call it Antioch. 
Antioch was a sending center in the New Testament. Antioch Christians were asking, how many can we send, not how many can we seat? The American church asks, how many can we seat? How can we get a bigger auditorium? How can we entertain more people? I grieve in my soul at the amount of people that think ministry is about making everybody happy. No wonder you're miserable. Because it's about pleasing the Lord. And this is a part of the reform that God is bringing in His church. Is that He just wants to be first place again. We kicked Him out of His house and did church our own way. And it ruined us and it corrupted generations. But God is wanting to restore His pattern so that we will see His presence and His power. Are you tracking with me? So we need the ministry of local elders shepherding and caring and we need the fivefold government in the earth. I'll say it this way. The New Testament church has in it both apostolic and pastoral oversight. Let me break it down just a little more. Apostles and elders work together in mutual love, accountability, and humility. This is God's design. This is the New Testament record. This is how He intended things to be in His church. Some of you need to reread Acts with an open heart. Forget what you heard, what you saw, what you whatever, and, and delete the exposure to the world system, to the business model, and allow God to convict your heart about how He's building. See, we obsess over how much, and God cares about how. Why? He's looking at the motives and the intentions of our heart. I believe that apostolic and, and pastoral oversight, that this statement here actually represents God's checks and balances in His church. Do you understand? Checks and balances are a gift from God. This nation is governed so great, at least it used to be, because the founding fathers, God, I believe, inspired them with wisdom actually from the scriptures. And they were inspired with wisdom. Our government has three branches to it. Should I bring Mitchell up to give us a lesson? You have what, Mitchell? The judiciary the legislative and the executive branches. We have the Senate, which has a hundred members in it, a hundred senators, two from each state, and then you have 436 members of the House of Representatives. And these governing legislative bodies, along with the executive branch of the presidency, some of you were doing drugs during government class your senior year. I'm trying to help you. You're like, whoa? I just thought there was a president. No, they work together. Why? It's a system of checks and balances. Because the founding fathers were terrified of tyranny. Did you know that the church has been under the tyrannical reign of sick men for far too long? Who have no accountability and no checks and balances. It Just because you have a board doesn't mean you're accountable. Accountability is something you seek out. It's something you submit yourself to. Why? Because you know deep down, I need help. Right. Come on. 
And if I don't get help and I don't have friends and brothers and sisters in my life to keep me on the straight and narrow, I will surely stray from the path and the fold of the Good Shepherd. So this is God's system of checks and balances in the earth and in His church. I understand this is foreign to many, but this is what God is restoring. So I encourage you to get on board so you don't have to get out of the way. Ezekiel 34, turn there with me. Let's talk about shepherding the flock. As we have amazing shepherds here that love and care deeply. I've seen them weep over their love for you. You can't hardly find that anywhere. You can find people working a job and they'll just go to the highest bidder in the next church down the street that pays more. Verse 1, Ezekiel 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against. Would you say prophesy against? against. How many of you know you don't want God to prophesy against you? I want you to feel the fear of the Lord. I am preaching to Mitchell, Ben, and Austin. I already told them that. You're just here as the audience, but I'm preaching to them this morning. I'm serious. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Verse 4. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. My God, my God. Did we just describe the American ministry landscape or did we not? This wasn't about shepherds and sheep in Israel. This is God's wisdom, timeless, speaking to us that there are those that are feeding the flock and there are those that are feeding themselves. There are those that feel called to ministry, but really it's so that they can get their own needs met. There's a lot of usury in the church. There's a lot of people seeking to use the bride. I've shared this before, but nobody wanted to preach here and come here when there were 15 people. Now it's something desirable. Now it's something to be sought after. Now it's, why? Because the motives of men and women seeking to use the church are everywhere. I told you don't be a critic. Don't be somebody that just hates on the church. Be a reformer. Be a builder. Be somebody with skin in the game. Be somebody that's trying to flesh out the realities of the church in your life and wherever you attend. Wherever you're connected. God wants to deal with church attendance too. Where do you attend church? How is that any different than a country club? Than the Elks Lodge, Moose Lodge. Whatever, Deer Lodge. Why well, we, We've invented systems and gimmicks and metrics of man. Where, where do you attend? No, where do you assemble? Where are you involved? Where are you connected? 
We, we've given people a pass. We, we've, we've just winked and looked the other way at a church that's social rather than relational. Because those that feed themselves build organizations. Those that are true shepherds build families. Of sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. Where the real issues of life and where deep discipleship can actually take place. I told you a few weeks ago, the American church, many of it is just too big for real discipleship. And rather than reproducing, they just started a production. Rather than reproduction, they weren't mature enough to reproduce, to plant churches and raise up more leaders, so we just settled for production. We just settled for the show. Instead of presence and power and pattern, we wanted lights, camera, and action. And we've paid a heavy price. But God is bringing reformation. There are more leaders that are under conviction that God really doesn't have the lead in their church like never before. The amount of people that are talking about fivefold ministry is more than ever before. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to hear what God is doing all over the earth. That people are realizing, man, we want Jesus back. We can't heal anybody. We can't even help anybody. We're struggling to help ourselves. But if the presence of God is there corporately and there individually and people could take what they experience on a Sunday and begin to steward it and manifest it and walk in it on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and throughout the week so that it would become a lifestyle and not just an event. Attendance is about an event. Assembly is about encounter. And God is wanting to encounter His people. But there are so many false metrics, so many ideas, so much wisdom of man that we have to get flushed out of our minds. Do you see here that God is taking the neglect and the abuse of His flock personally? If you continue to read this passage, I I challenge you to read All of Ezekiel 34 later. God takes it personally that His flock is neglected. That His flock is abused. That His flock is mistreated and used instead of served. The Father's in the house. God the Father is in His house. Do you understand that those who teach and preach will incur a stricter judgment? This isn't like everybody stand before Jesus and get the same treatment. Not how that works. Now, if you had two talents, you better have four. If you have five, you better have ten. If you got one, you better not stick it in the ground. You better not say, oh, here, I I was afraid of you. Here, let me just give you back what you gave me. I did nothing with it. The whole American model is built for us to stick our talent in the ground and do nothing with the grace and gift and calling that God has given every believer. Why? It's about showing up and listening to somebody talk. That's what people think church is. It grieves the heart of Jesus. 
He wants to feed his flock. He wants to tend his lambs. He wants to shepherd his sheep. Oh, you would be horrified to know the amount of pastors that are preaching other people's sermons. The amount of people, as my brother Jeremiah would say, that have left the faith, but they've not left the pulpit. Because it's a career and not a calling. Because it's a paycheck rather than a passion. Turn to John 10. I want to highlight the words of Jesus here as he speaks into the issue of shepherding and caring for the flock of God. John 10 verse 7. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So are there multiple ways to God? Are there other doors that we can gain access to God? Does Jesus saying, I am the door, mean that He is exclusively the way? That you can't be a good person and you can't earn it and you can't do yoga and you can't meditate your way. There's nothing you can do to earn what God has freely given us in His Son. But there's something inside of us that wants to earn it and that's the orphan that has to die and stop achieving and start receiving. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling, would you say hireling? hireling. Some of your translations may say hired hand. And not a shepherd, so there's a difference, yes? Jesus is introducing a new character. We had the thief, we had the wolf, we had the robber, but now we've got a hireling. Verse 12, who's not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling. And is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Does that sound like relationship to you? Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's a lot that we could get lost in but I want to just keep it high level. So that we're all on the same page. Number one. People doing ministry for hire is one of the church's great illnesses. There are not enough people talking about the issue of hirelings in the church. People that are working a job. Y'all, I went to Bible college. You know what senior year was? People filling out hundreds of applications and looking for God to send them somewhere. 
That ain't ministry unto Jesus. That's just looking to get your needs met. Well, I paid a lot of money. I got a degree. So now I'm entitled to talk at people. Well, where'd you get an offer to? Where'd you get accepted? No, I didn't fill out any applications. Proverbs says a man's gift will make room for him. I'll just trust the Lord. I'll just be found faithful serving and doing whatever God asks me to do because I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking to obey and honor God. And if He wants me to obey Him while I work overnight at Walmart, and I did, I will. And I got robbed in the parking lot of Walmart. True story. By a thief and a robber. I think he was a hireling. Somebody sent him. It was actually three of them. Now we have an issue. The church is deeply sick. Let me give you a few things. There are 40 of these, so I'm not going to blast you and overwhelm you, but I'm just going to read a couple. Shepherds lead by example. Hirelings lord it over people. Shepherds need no recognition, while hirelings need a title and a position to function. This is why we told you that this last Sunday wasn't like, oh, hey, elders, start shepherding now. We, we commission you. You know the amount of people that try to commission people into something and everybody goes, wait, what? Like the, the pastor has an affair, has a breakdown, gets a better job, has a midlife crisis, whatever. He leaves and all of a sudden a new guy shows up and somebody says, here's your pastor. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody's ever met him before. The grand poobah of the southwest district sent him in there. What is this stuff? It's religion. And it's toxic and it's cancerous. It's the manifestation of hirelings who don't care about God's people. If you really care about God's people, it doesn't matter where you get a paycheck from. But we're so insecure that we feel more insignificant because the, the transfer in our bank comes from a church rather than a secular job. Oh, this is the disease. This is the illness. I believe that the laborers are worthy of their wages. But we should pay worthy laborers. We should pay those that actually have skin in the game. That are making an effort to serve and live for the Lord and die. Rather than propping up our puppets. And becoming mannequins of their ministry. Shepherds want something for you hirelings want something from you I don't want anything from you I want something for you I want all that God promised to give you I want you to walk in the freedom and the liberty that Christ suffered and died for I don't want you to be duped and deceived by the madness of men and their ministry machines Shepherds are available and accessible. Hirelings are out of reach and out of touch. No, I can't give you my phone number. I'm in the green room, baby. You're supposed to be in the prayer room, brother. Yeah, I've been places where you get the security guard and they're like, oh, whenever you're done, let us know. I'm like, well, there's like a lot of people in line that need prayer. 
No, I'm not going to tell them I'm tired. These people have come and God wants to meet their needs. What if at the very end of the prayer line at 1230 at night is when God chooses to heal because He figured out we really want Him. And we just had to wait that long to have all of our flesh and all of our impatience and all of our religion drain out of us. Or we could leave behind the lights and camera and fog and smoke and do the will of God with a clean hands and pure heart. Shepherds are among the people. Hirelings are above or over the people. How many people are you over? Uh, Hopefully we're actually under them. Uh, Hopefully we're propping them up. See, I want to help you. The, The elders didn't ascend into some penthouse for pimps. They descended into the basement of lifetime service and care and love. That's why it was so worth celebrating. It wasn't just, oh, hey, thanks for your hard work and what a great year you've invested. No, it was the pledge of, for the rest of my life, so long as God gives me grace and breath in my lungs, I'm going to serve the Lord and shepherd His flock. That's a powerful declaration. I don't want it to be lost on you. Shepherds create dependency on Christ. Hirelings create dependency on themselves. My God, the amount of people that think the goal of ministry is to get more people dependent on you, more people coming for you, more people listening to you, rather than raising up other leaders and ministries and voices so that people will come for God and not man. Shepherds build a family. Hirelings build a ministry or an organization. This is why we've settled for gimmicks and games and bar graphs and pie graphs and skin graphs and whatever other graphs. Let's have a, a, a church interest meeting. Like so if people don't show up you won't do the will of God. Let's have a launch team and a pep rally and figure out how we can make announcements the most efficient because if it's longer than 55 minutes, ain't nobody going to come. We can go to the movies for three hours, but preaching must be 15 minutes. Don't make more than one point because people can't pay attention. Rather than bowing and cowering to the spirit of the age that wants to neuter the church, how about not entertaining people but equipping people for the shaking that is coming so that they're ready at the return of the Lord? I told you the goal is so that everybody... God forbid somebody came in here with with a, a firearm and we all had to pay the price and they said, Who is here for Jesus? Who's willing to die for Christ? Nobody's walking out. We're making a line. Because we understand the promotion of what it means to be martyred for Jesus. See, I start talking like this. People are like, whoa, what in the world? I'm just trying to live my quiet, self-preserved life. And maybe that's what you're drunk on as your own success. We live in America. We don't experience persecution. Our idea of persecution is somebody at work doesn't like us. We're so, our egos are so fragile that if somebody calls us a name, we have to suck our thumb for a week. 
Now, what if they don't really hate you or have a problem with you and you don't have to take it personally because they have an issue with God? If you're really preaching His truth and you're really representing Him, then you just let all that stuff go right over your head because really they're mad at the Lord whom you represent. You don't have to take it personally. People can accuse you of whatever. You know what? Accusation only has power over you to the degree that you believe it's true. Y'all accuse me of being skinny. I won't get hung up on that one. It's just not true. I'm not going to go, oh, they called me skinny. No, but people accuse us and call us names and they fling mud and we, we get all fragile and worked up. And why? Because our concept of ourself isn't rooted in Christ. It's in the affirmation of man. And we're only as courageous as the people around us are willing to back us rather than living for the affirmation and the acceptance of God alone. What if it was the will of God for people to reject you so that you could fellowship in the sufferings of Christ? What if being called and commissioned in ministry was more like being a chosen instrument of mine to suffer for my namesake as God told Paul in Acts 9? What if we started ministry schools and we trained people on suffering, on hardship, on endurance, perseverance, not being a victim, but being an overcomer? Can you imagine a conference marketed for people to hear about how to suffer and die well with Jesus? Well, people will show up for fire. You slap miracles on that bad boy and people are showing up. What if we just came for Jesus? What if the greatest miracle of all was knowing Him? Being known by Him. Being loved by Him. And then the miraculous would flow out of our lives because we're intimately connected with Him. Well, we lay hands on people that are sick and I feel no pressure. Everybody's like, what are you going to do if they don't get healed? Wrong question. What are you going to do if they do? Maybe you haven't seen anybody healed that you laid hands on because deep down you just don't expect anything to happen. Expectation is the language of faith. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm not going to get lost in the theological marsh of this and that and this one and that, not that one and whatever. I'm just going to pray and do what God has asked me to do and be faithful and make sure that God gets all the credit and all the honor and all the glory when power and miracles and signs break out. When was the last time that God did something miraculous in your life and you didn't tell anybody? What if we posted all of our highlights on Facebook and lost all of our reward in heaven? Because we wanted people to know, oh, God, God is using me. Oh, it's a struggle. If you don't know this wrestle, you need to get on the mat. How do I give God glory but not give myself any credit? Because without His grace, I would be in jail. I would be dead. I would be a thug somewhere. That's honesty. You can get home from there. People doing, hire, doing ministry for hire is one of the great illnesses. Number two. You don't have to be a thief, a robber, or a wolf to destroy the flock. My, my, my. 
You, you, you don't have to be a wolf. You don't have to be a thief or a robber. You just have to be a hireling. You just have to be willing to do it for the money. I had a friend. Notice past tense. I had a friend on staff at a mega church. Over 50 pastors, people on staff. Now that's big. God is my witness. He told me that they asked in the staff meeting, if the church couldn't afford to pay you anymore, how many of you would still stay? Two people raised their hand. Everybody else said, we're getting another job. Follow the money. Where the money's dirty, everything else is funny. I know these issues make people uncomfortable and squirmy, but my God, it's time to look under the rug and stop sweeping stuff in there and start dealing with the issues so that we can get healthy and whole as a body. We preach this way and teach this way because we care about your soul. Because we feel a burden for the wider body of the Lord. We're not trying to be another cool church on the corner. We want to be a place of real discipleship, real encounter. Look at this wall. We want to be a place that's full of people, of names. When we share the gospel, we write the name of the person you shared the gospel with. And then we pray with them. Write a name on the wall by next Sunday. It's not that hard. It's just the fear of man suffocating you. Get free. They're going to think I'm weird. They already think you're weird. You believe in a Jewish man dying 2,000 years ago on a cross and his blood forgiving you of your sins. But the minute somebody speaks in tongues, that's like really out there. Oh, whoa. Read the scriptures. Be honest. Have we invented a faith that minimizes risk and maximizes pleasure? Oh, yeah. Take a risk. Share the gospel of Jesus. Do it at lunch this afternoon. Ask your server We're going to pray for our food. How can we pray for you? You would be astonished how many people are vulnerable to prayer. Vulnerable to leadership. How many? They'll just spill their guts. Why? Because the world is hurting and broken. I was at a funeral yesterday and the amount of people that were terrified, that were scared, that had no answer. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a grid for eternity. You don't understand loss. I was in the hospital When they passed away, I wasn't scared. I was there to shepherd and lead people through the moment. Why? Because this is what we train for. This is what we're building towards so that you can have the word of the Lord ever flowing out of your life. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, you bring Christ with you everywhere you go. You don't leave him in the car. He doesn't stay in the living room. You bring him with you. He lives inside you. He wants to talk through you. Maybe that fleeting thought you're having is the Lord. And it's fear that's just causing you to suppress what He's communicating. So you don't have to be a hireling. You don't have to be a robber or a wolf to destroy the flock. You can just do it for all the wrong motives, which is number three. 
This is the difference between shepherds and hirelings, I believe, is chiefly all about motivation. It's all about the why behind why you do what you do. Did you know that God is calling all of us to be shepherds? He wants us to be a shepherding people. If Christ is inside of you and He's the good shepherd, He wants to pastor everybody around you through your gentleness, through your kindness, through your correction, through your courage. But the difference is motivation. See, some people start out as hirelings and God gets a hold of them and they become real shepherds in the body. And unfortunately, others start out as shepherds and the ministry machine gets a hold of them and contaminates them and intoxicates them and they become hirelings like the rest. They started out with a heart to serve God. They started out with a desire to see people saved and blessed and healed. But it was the the power of tradition and religion that began to neuter them and take away their authority. And they started serving people rather than serving God. Some of you may not have seen this before. This is a chart I have. It's on the back wall there by Jonah and Wren. Church culture and kingdom culture. I want you to pick this up if you've never seen it and wrestle through the scriptures. This message would be point number two. Church culture teaches a lead pastor. Kingdom culture teaches a plurality of elders. This is the biblical model and I'll explain why. Would you move with me to 1 Peter 5? And I want to talk practically about the ministry of elders. If you believe that elders are just the rich business guys that keep the church running, God wants to restore what elders are. Elders are pastors. Elders are the ones who govern the flock of God. There's only two offices in the New Testament church. There are elders and there are deacons. There's not a hierarchy. There's a plurality. There is teamwork. Every reference... In the New Testament, the leadership is plural. Every single one of them. Dive with me into 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the senior pastor among you. Did I miss it? I exhort the associate pastor, the executive pastor, the create, the social media pastor. The marketing director. Oh God, don't get me started. Instead of evangelism, we started marketing. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now hang on, please don't miss this. Who's writing? The Apostle Peter. The guy who walked on water, who preached at Pentecost, 3,000 souls saved, who walked with Jesus in the school of Christ for three and a half years. And Peter is writing and he doesn't say, the chief apostle. He doesn't say, I'm the Pope, do what I say. The rock that God is building His church on is the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Peter's not the rock. Peter's dead. Hear the humility. Your fellow elder. 
You see that? I want you to imagine shoulder to shoulder. Austin, stand. Here, as your fellow elder. He doesn't start a hierarchy. He doesn't say, hey, little guys. He says, I exhort you as your fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Verse 2, what's he say? Shepherd the flock of God. Where's the flock of God? Among you. Not under you. Not around you. Our whole concept of vertical hierarchy has to die. Jesus categorically condemned it in Matthew 23. But a lot of people pretend like Matthew 23 either doesn't exist or doesn't apply to them. Jesus said, don't lord it over one another. As the Romans do. As the Gentiles do. You're not commanders and generals and peasants. He says, for you are all brothers. So Peter says, as a fellow elder, he tells them as to other elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, and when the senior pastor, as Jesus, I'm telling you, if you're the senior pastor, Jesus is not. He's the sole head of His church. He said in a plurality so that he would be the soul, so that he would be the head, so that he would be the only one around which everything is built and gravitates. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You, younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever. Amen. This is God's word to elders, to pastors, to leaders. Let me give you seven things that characterize Peter's vision for pastoral oversight. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The pastoral oversight of elders. Number one, 
It's shared. Sharing the load. The reason why there's so much burnout, there's so much immorality, is because we have propped men and women up on a pedestal and wanted them to be God for us. We have expected them to be the fullness of the fivefold ministry, by the way. The senior pastor is supposed to cast the vision, build the teams, prophesy the word of the Lord, win the lost, care for the hurting, show up at the hospital, and teach the word of God. Does that sound like a horrible proposition to you? It's impossible. But as a team, together... God can be rightly honored and represented. We knew somebody that told their associate pastor, I don't sit on Sundays when the associate pastor asked to preach a word that God had put on his heart. I don't sit on Sundays. Why? He's saying the people are here for me. But you know, if you preach 50, 51, 52 weeks out of the year, did you know that you're not the fullness of Christ? That God has given other gifts and other ministries that can represent and manifest Him rightly in ways that you could never. Why? Because He's given diversity and plurality so that He would be the only one. And we're warned in 3 John about a man named Diotrephes who wanted to be first among them. He wanted to be the greatest. We are warned about people that want to be first and want to be senior and want to be number one. So we have these three guys. This is from the celebration. Was that game awesome? That was so much fun. They're all different. They're unique. Some of them are better looking. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. They know they're handsome. But they have different roles. They have different lanes. They have different functions. I want to help you to understand their role and their assignment in the church. We want them functioning in their lane. Please write this down. The strength of an eldership is that it accentuates your gifts and conceals your weaknesses. So when elders work together to care for the flock, everybody wins because you get put in your lane and you get to do the things that make you feel alive because there's grace on them. No more just dragging your feet through the drudgery of what ministry demands of you and you actually get to labor together as a team. Y'all, the amount of pastors that hide their vacations, oh, don't let anybody know, word got out, I'm going to be in Florida, please come to church next Sunday. All of that is religious nonsense. If we would build according to the wisdom of God, if we would accept the plurality, the team that He's building, all of our lives would be better. Our churches would be healthier. No, you can't get a hold of so-and-so, but so-and-so can talk to you. So they have different roles. They have different lanes. Mitchell and Brittany are very hospitable. They do our meal trains. They do hospital visitation. They do 
All the work related to things having to do with shepherding and caring. And when there's guests in town, Brittany will make a gift basket for the ministers that we have in because we want to honor them and love them and thank them. Then Mitchell does the moving team. How many of y'all know moving is a burden? We got people that are going to be moving this spring. Wouldn't it be great if the church was really a family and not a business and people showed up to help you move your boxes? Right? This is what it means to know well the flock and care for the needs of the people. Austin and Jill, also very hospitable. Jill's a counselor. Austin's a great counselor too. They're over our men's and women's ministry and marriage ministry. Haven't you been so blessed by the marriage ministry going on in this house? Isn't your one next Sunday? Come next Sunday night. Be blessed. Bring your spouse. Allow God to build into your marriage. I love our Father's house because you can have revival and you can have the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and you can have people getting delivered from demons and get your marriage healed too. You don't have to pick and choose. Like God shows up in revival and He just bypasses your financial poverty. Oh, there are people here to teach you, to help you, to train you. Some of you never had a mother or a father or somebody to actually teach you how to steward your money, how to save. God doesn't want you to die broke. He doesn't want you to leave your family in a pit. In a burden because you mismanage money your whole life. The elders can help you with this. The deacons serving alongside the elders can help you with this. Ben is gifted for discipleship and teaching and preaching and leading. Does Ben have a fire on him? It's an anointing from the Lord. It's not just passion and flesh. It's the gift and the zeal of God. And if we would honor Him, we would receive from Him through the word ministry that God has given Him. Amen? So it's shared. But I want to remind you of what Wayne Grudem said. Scholar writes, No passage in the New Testament suggests that any church, no matter how small, had only one senior leader. The consistent New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders in every church and in every town. We do not see a diversity of forms of government in the New Testament church, but a unified and consistent pattern in which every church had elders governing it And watching over it. Would you say amen? Amen. It's just the word of God. Remember, don't be a critic. Don't walk out of here and send people this message. And you ain't going to read this. Listen, God will get to it. The Father is bringing conviction for the way that we've built. Number two, the pastoral oversight of elders is active and aggressive. I couldn't decide which word I wanted, so I used both. He tells them, shepherd the flock of God. So much for pastors kicking their feet up and playing golf five days a week. Real shepherds, real pastors are among the flock, caring, feeding, leading, guiding, helping, serving, loving. It's active. It's aggressive. The church gets in trouble when pastors are reactionary rather than proactive. 
Many pastors are actually just managers because all they do is put fires out. He wants leaders to be proactive and not reactive. He wants to move things forward in his house and build and grow. Are you all with me? There's an aggressive nature to shepherding. Why? Because if the sheep are headed into a rattlesnake's den, it's the shepherds that say, hold on a minute. It's always the shepherds who are saying, hey, the bridge is out. Please don't keep driving. And one of the hardest parts of ministry is you get a front row seat to watch people blow their lives up and blame you for it. Well, people have an issue with Aaron and Moses. They really have an issue with God. God puts shepherds up to do very difficult things. Many shepherds get stirred when people are in crisis. When people are about to, to blow up their marriage and their life. And God begins to mobilize and motivate and move and breathe upon the shepherds in His church. Saying, go help them. Go offer them another solution, another way. Plead with them. Beg them if you have to. Don't do this. Number three. His vision for oversight is exemplary. It says proving to be patterns. God wants the elders of His church to actually live out what they preach. The power and the pain of hypocrisy is deadly. When leaders are not who they say they are, when their lives do not match what they've preached, what they've taught, what they've upheld. It's jarring for people. It's damaging. He wants pastors to pastor people as they themselves are being pastored by God. Prove to be patterns. In other words, we should be able to look at elders and say, oh, I'm just getting started. I just got baptized. How, how do I do this thing? What, what in the world is this? And they say, well, just follow me and we'll teach you. Does that mean that pastors are perfect? No, Jesus already took care of that. But elders, pastors are supposed to be examples to the flock. Listen to me. What leaders do in moderation, people will do in excess. Your one little swear word on the side will be somebody else's reason to get drunk that night. It's that foolish. It's that much of an orphanage. Cleanse your life. Live holy. Live pure. Don't give the devil one inch. We don't drink alcohol as leaders in this house. You do whatever you want. But we don't drink alcohol. Why? I don't know of any one single person that says, you know what? When I started drinking, my marriage got stronger. My family got healthier. Everything blossomed in my life when I started drinking. Now you can take that as legalism, but really it's just love for the Lord. Because what leaders do in moderation, people will do in excess. I've had a front row seat to watch alcohol destroy families, destroy marriages. It's a destructive force. We should be warned. Instead of being drunk with wine, we should be full of the Holy Spirit. We should be finding a way to get as far away from the edge of the cliff as we can. It's always our pride that makes us think we're the exception. 
Oh, I can have one drink with friends. And oh, well, you feel closer to God? I promise you, you're not going to get to heaven and wish you had had a few more beers. Ask God about your relationship with alcohol. You get your own convictions from the Lord and you obey Him. I'm not here to judge you. We're not going to have a drink together. Why? Because I've accepted that, you know what? Others may, I cannot. That's the role of leadership in the church. Number four. The pastoral oversight is rewarded. Rewarded by the chief shepherd himself. It says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, he'll give them the unfading crown of glory. Brothers, your reward is much in the life to come. Pastoring is one of the most thankless, hardest things that you'll do. Jesus healed ten lepers and only one came back. I regret to tell you that that's a picture of ministry. You'll lay your life down for people. You'll love, you'll serve, you'll give. You'll put it all out on the line and they'll leave because it was hot that Sunday and they were uncomfortable. You'll do marriage counseling for your... I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be real. We've had many of these conversations in private. People will come in and they'll just seek to use the church and milk you dry and be leeches, suck the life out of you and then go do it to somebody else. But you must say yes, and you must love them, and you must serve them well. Number five, pastoral oversight of elders is humble. God gives grace to the humble. Pride is the only sin in the whole Bible where God says He will explicitly oppose us if we walk in it. If you don't think you struggle with pride, you definitely do. That's how sinister and insidious pride is. We all have a deep issue and wrestle with pride. Pride is killing us and we're blind to it. Pursue real humility. Number six. The pastoral oversight is a graced oversight. He gives grace. When we humble ourselves, the grace of God floods our souls and fills our hearts. You need the grace of God to do this well. Without the grace of God, this is a nightmare and a train wreck. But with the grace of God, it's a beautiful endeavor that He will reward you for. What you do in secret, He will reward you for openly. Fast, serve, pray, give in secret. Let God do the rest. Number seven, maybe most important, is that the pastoral oversight of elders is an overseen oversight. Jesus Himself oversees the overseers. The elders are going to give an account to Christ, who is the chief shepherd. For how they cared and how they led and what they did. This is a fearful thing before the Lord. So much for scheming how to come up with a program that helps everybody. No God, how do we do your will? With courage, with love, with honor, with boldness, with integrity, with purity. 
Why? Because Jesus is watching. God is listening to all of our conversations. Be careful how you talk about the sheep. Be careful how you speak about the flock of God. They're God's people. They're His children. He loves them. He gave His life for the flock of God. He laid down His life. So you lay down yours. Jesus had the right to rebuke His church because He gave His life for her. Hirelings just want to correct everybody. True shepherds really care and really love. Comes from a different place. The motive is entirely different. So why do we have elders and not a pastoral hierarchy? Yeah, it's in the Word of God, okay. Great, we're building according to the pattern. But we want to be on guard for the thing in Diotrephes that wanted to be first, that wanted to be the greatest, that wanted to be the one that had all the answers and drew people to himself. The second reason would be that it's impossible for one person to manifest and represent God. We need the full expression of the fivefold ministry. And by the way, you can't get one pastor and one teacher and one evangelist and one prophet and one apostle in a room and say, look, it's the fullness of ministry. We're talking about all the apostles, all the prophets, all the evangelists, all the teachers, all the shepherds for all time. You still don't have the fullness of Christ because you're not God in the flesh. Why elders? Well, because of accountability. My life and my ministry is submitted to the elders of this church. We're taking a sabbatical, as some of you heard, in March, April, and May. You know why? Because we were asked to. I'm not burned out. I'm not... We were asked to. Hey, you know what? You guys have had inadequate rest and abundant warfare. Why don't you let God nurse your wounds and help? Okay. Let's seem pleasing to the Lord. So at the obedience of God, at the leading of the Lord and the pleading of the elders, Taylor and I are going to rest. We're going to be in Georgia the next two weekends. And then March 3rd will be our last Sunday here. And we're taking March, April, and May to rest. I have a few ministry engagements that I've already agreed to that we are in agreement with and with the blessing. We're going to honor our word, but we are going to turn those into family vacations. Lavish, lavish family vacations. We're going to go to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky and snorkel. Everybody needs accountability. If you don't have somebody that can tell you to sit down and shut up, you're not accountable. You don't have somebody that can say, what in the world are you doing? You're not accountable. You're not submitted to anybody. Too often we define submission by what we don't do. Some of y'all hear me. I listen to women say, I'm submitted to my husband. And really what you're saying is, I'm not a horrible person. I'm like, what? I, 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 don't, just, I don't just 
chew my husband up and spit him out. I'm like, wow. No, submission is godly. Submission is biblical. We submit ourselves together in the fear of the Lord to one another. Am I teaching the scriptures? You already figured out I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. That ship sailed and sunk a long time ago. Also for the purpose of accountability, the elders are to pastor each other. You know why so many pastors are hurting? Because they have things going on and they feel like they can't tell anybody. I know people are like, you don't talk down the chain. I'm like, what are we in Vietnam? No, but if you have, there's equality, then there's a sharing of life. Of the realities of, they understand they're to care and shepherd and guard one another's marriages and children. Hey, we're all going and we're all going together. For the purpose of humility, we reject the one man model of ministry. It takes humility and it takes courage to prefer and defer and honor one another. And lastly, for the purpose of longevity. This is God's insurance plan. To not only care well for His flock, but also to care well for His shepherds. This is to be a house of honor. Elders are worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Especially those that labor hard at preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching is a labor. It's hard work if you want to do it well. And elders are to be held in honor, but not just honor, double honor. The word there means twice as much. Two-fold honor. We don't muzzle the ox. The laborer is worthy of their wages. Part of the detriment of the pastoral hierarchy is we have underpaid and overworked people. We have wanted our pastors to work 75 hours a week and then we blame them when their children don't like them. The ministry machine is dying, praise God. God is raising up families. He's raising up shepherds after His own heart. He's restoring the pattern and the model of the Word of God. Why? Because we're not smarter than Him. Because He knows better and we're going to do it His way. So help us God. Would you stand to your feet? Now I said that I was preaching to Mitchell and Ben in Austin and I certainly was. But I believe that there are many of you in this room that have a pastoral call on your life. Now please hear me, we have equated being the pastor with being the preacher and those are not the same thing. Some of you have a shepherding and caring grace about your life. You have a gift of mercy. I believe that there's an activation and a stirring this morning. I know just by natural knowledge that there are pastors of other churches that are in this room. And I'm so grateful that you were here this morning. This was by the design of God. Only he could have figured this one out. I plan to, pe- to preach 1 Peter 5 the Sunday after the elders were ordained like a year ago. 
when God gave me the idea. So He knew and He brought you here, but it's more than just you. There are pastors in this church. You are a fivefold shepherd, or you have shepherding grace and tendencies. You feel stirred when someone is hurting, when someone is broken, when someone needs a meal. You feel that grace upon your life. The Lord wanted me to call you forward this morning. I believe that you need to take a step forward to respond to the call of God that He's placed upon your life. Perhaps you already know it and that's wonderful. But I'm believing for a stirring and for the gift of God to be awakened in the hearts of many people. I'm telling y'all, there's not just one or two or five. There's many of you that have a shepherding grace and call upon your life. If you're willing this morning and you feel that the Lord has called you to shepherd and care for His flock, not as a professional pastor, but as a lover of Jesus, not as a hireling, not as a a career, but as a calling of God, I want you to come forward right now. I want you to step forward into these altars and we're going to pray because we need shepherds after God's own heart. There's a stirring and an impartation this morning. There's real activation to care for God's church. We've been at a deficit for far too long.